good to be in the presence of the Lord. It's good to be in the house of God. It's good to be in more than just a building. It's good to be in His presence. Welcome to everybody today. God bless you. I'm glad to see you in the house of the Lord today. God bless you being here. It's good to have some guests, Brother... Uh, Brother Landry, you want to introduce your guest today? Uh, yes, this is my brother from Texas, my name is Landry and Katie. Uh, God bless them, all the way from Texas. All of my childhood was spent in Texas, or most of it. Uh, a lot of people didn't know that I was a Mexican. <laughs> but I was born in Mexico. I have dual citizenship. I'm not just a Californian. I'm a New Mexican, too. <laughs> I was born in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Then we moved to Texas, and I lived there for till I was in the middle teen years. <clears throat> it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, and it's good to be home. We've been out of state. The last two Sundays, we were with the Parkies in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, had great services there. And <clears throat> spent a lot of time uh, during the days. My uh, grandson there, Zachary Parker, just bought a new house. Uh, was new to him, and uh, I, I did what my family always volunteers me for. I reorganized all the closets, and uh, you can turn this down a little bit if you would, please. Uh, organize all the closets, then we we painted the entire house. And so uh, there was, a, and when I say the end, I'm talking about from the floor to the ceiling, everything got painted and got it cleaned up, and he's getting married next month, so hopefully they'll have it finished up and ready by the time they get married. But that's for my, uh, the oldest Parky kid, Zachary's getting married, and uh, anyway, it's good to be in the house of God. Uh, a lesson today is on a better high priest. Uh, during the time of the um, early parts of the word of God under the priesthood, under the law, before the dispensation of grace, which you and I are blessed to live in, uh, it was necessary if you wanted to have any communication with God, you had to go through the priest and uh, you had access to come to him. And, and once a year, the high priest could go into the holies of holies, but only once a year. The holies of holies is significant in uh, typology because the holies of holies represents the Holy Ghost or the sacred presence of God. And they were only able, only the high priest could go in, and he could only go in once a year. That was into the presence of God, into the holies of holies. Uh, and that's very significant for us to understand today because before we're through uh, with, with our look at the word of God today, you'll understand how blessed you and I are that we today have access to go into the holies of holies, not with a high priest once a year, and not that the high priest goes in for us, 
But we have access to go into the presence of God anytime we choose on a daily basis. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but what a blessing it is to be able to have access to the throne room of God. Someone said, you know, we have a teenager in the White House right now, Baron Trump, and his, he has access to go into his father's presence anytime he wants to. Our previous president, Obama, had two daughters that were teenagers, and they had all kinds of special privileges. They could go into the presence of the uh, president of the United States of America anytime they wanted. They didn't have to have an appointment. They didn't have to have a title. They didn't have to uh, go through a long list. They could just go in whatever they want. I've often said it. There's been many times, especially in the past, where I could be in my office with the door shut, and uh, most people would have the courtesy to, uh, you know, not bother you when the door shut, or at least would, you know, tap on the window if it was something they needed to get access to, and or the door, and uh, and be invited in. But my kids, and then later my grandkids, they just busted the door open and came right on in because they have access to their father. They have access to uh, a special privilege. And so it is with us today. Now we have access into the presence of God. We don't have to have an appointment. We don't have to have a special position. We can just simply, uh, wherever we're at, whenever we're, we desire, we have access to go into the presence of God any time that we choose to go in. Uh, the Bible says, for we have not a high priest. We have not a high priest. In other words, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We, we don't have a high priest, and it's kind of said it in reverse. We, we could actually reword that without changing its meaning and said we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And I'm sure if uh, we were uh, promised secrecy and uh, uh, privacy and we could go by one at a time today and every one of us could give or tell the uh, secret things of our life, of our infirmities or our shortcomings or where we failed. Sometimes we look at somebody and we think, oh, they have it all together. They, they're just, you know, magically put together and they're super spiritual and they've got, but I don't care how spiritual you are. If you had, if you had an opportunity and if you was completely and totally honest with yourself, with others, you could speak of thoughts, of things, of situations uh, that are not exactly what you would want to put out in public. Their infirmities, their inadequacies, their places where you don't measure up the way that you know you probably should. There are shortcomings and failures, and some may be, may be more blatant or obvious than others. Others may be more secret. Others may be more private. Uh, but all of us have infirmities or inadequacies or things in our life that 
uh, are very difficult and sometimes we have to deal with them. But the Bible says we have a high priest that can be touched with our feelings and our infirmities, with our shortcomings. And before we had to deal with our own pain, our own uh, inadequacies, I keep using that word, but our own shortcomings, we had to deal with our own failures. Uh, sometimes those failures are, are not known, they're in private, but we deal with those and we carry a certain amount of condemn, condemnation, uh, pain, uh, embarrassment, uh, secrecy, hope no one finds out type of thing. We carry in our own uh, person and we find ourselves maybe feeling self-condemned, uh, inadequate, uh, a failure, and we come uh, to the house of God and our head's kind of down and we feel a little bit embarrassed. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure, I'll be honest with you, I have. Uh, I'm sure there's been times you thought, well, you know, why am I lifting my hands? Why am I praising and worshiping God? Because I really hadn't been all that I should be. I've done this or that or the other, or I haven't done some things that I should have done. And we have uh, feelings of shortcomings and failure. But the Bible teaches us very clearly that now we have access to God, to the throne, to the throne. The Bible calls it the throne of grace. Would everybody say that, throne of grace? We have access to the throne of grace. That, that is just, uh, it's not talking about necessarily a big, beautiful golden chair that we have access to. It means we have access into the presence of God where he disperses grace. The Bible says that he, Jesus Christ in the flesh, was tempted in every manner like as we are. You think, oh, well, my situation is, is unique. My, my, my situation is, is uh, nobody else goes through what I'm going through. And it might just come into my mind right now, reminds me of the story of my grandmother Clark, which is my mother's mother, lived in Arkansas, just one half block right behind the first Walmart that was ever came into existence. We have them everywhere now, but the very first Walmart, this don't have anything to do with my point. It just happens to be that I remember where my grandmother lives. Uh, but my grandmother lived one half block right behind the very first Walmart in Rogers, Arkansas. And if you didn't know where Walmart and Mr. Walton's got his beginnings, it was in Rogers, Arkansas. My grandmother was one, uh, Half block behind her, she had a little couple acres there that uh, now is all shopping centers and all kinds of other stuff. But uh, uh, my grandmother, one time we were talking, and this is after I'd gotten a little older, and my wife and I were married, and we were back, and we went back, and one of the places we stopped at was Rogers, Arkansas, and we had a revival there. Well, we stayed with my grandmother. It was quite an experience that we look back and remember grandmother and her old culture. She was, uh, I, I don't know what she was really because I, I don't want to be another Pocahontas, but uh, I was told that she was half Cherokee Indian. So whatever she was, I don't really know. I didn't 
do the DNA on her yet, but uh, she was an old timer. She was a hard worker. I remember well up into her, her 80s, uh, one time we were there and um, she had this huge garden and she raised all kinds of vegetables and things and then she sold them out the front of her house. And I remember one time my mother saw her out in the garden uh, and I'm not talking about a little patch, I'm talking about bigger than this, bigger than this building uh, was her garden and her out there during the heat of the day chopping weeds and my mother felt bad for her and so my mother went to her and took the hoe and said here let me do that mom and she lasted about 10 minutes and then had to give the hoe back to grandma for her to finish doing her weeding uh, but so she was quite a character I remember one time and I'm leading up to a point that I want to make about her but uh, it's connected to our lesson I remember one time in the heat of uh, or in the excuse me in the cold of winter with ice frozen on the steps. You come out of the church, there's a big old porch, and then it had steps going down. And uh, uh, I was trying to be a gentleman, and that's when I was holding a revival there. Uh, and I said, here, let me help you down. And she says, get away from me. And she backed up. She wouldn't even leave the building until I got out of the way. She'd go down them stairs by herself. But she was quite a character. And, and one day we were talking about the thing that this is the point that I said all that about Grandma Clark to say to you is she said, well, I know one way when we said, you know, Jesus Christ was tempted in every manner like as we are. And she said, well, I know one thing that Jesus didn't have to go through that I have to go through. And I said, well, what's that? She said, old age. And I was stumped for a moment because now that I kind of are one, I are one of them old age people. Uh, I understand the aches and the pains and some of the situations and of all the things that I have to do. Uh, every once in a while I wake up and realize that I am married to a great grandma. And so I kind of think I might have arrived at that category. But uh, anyway, she said well, one thing that he didn't have to suffer was old age. And I was stumped for a moment. And then I got to realizing, what does old age bring? Aches and pains? Well, I think he might could have qualified when you talk about him hanging on the cross. Nails in his hands and his feet and spear thrust into his side. A crown of thorns crushed onto his skull. And the very purpose of crucifixion was, was to not bring a, a quick death, but to bring torturous death. Hanging there. I heard a, a medical doctor one time describe crucifixion and talk about hanging there that when your, your body weight is hanging down, it crushes in your lungs and you can't breathe. So the only way to breathe was his feet that had spikes through them. You had to lift yourself up or pull yourself up your arms to catch your next breath. So there was this constant having to... Uh, and they left them there to have a torturous death. So what does Olaid bring? Hurt, aches, and pains? He had it. Another thing that Olaid brings sometimes is feeling neglected by your family and friends. Kind of left alone. Sister Lee calls me every once in a while, and, and I have to kind of remind her of how blessed she is because she'll kind of, when she's not feeling good, she'll call me to get prayed for 
but sometimes she said, nobody ever comes to see me. And I thought, well, Sister Leek, there's at least three times a week someone comes and picks you up and brings you to church. So there are people coming to see you. But it's one of the feelings of old age of feeling like, you know, I'm not important to them. My kids don't come often enough. My family don't really share enough. And, and well, that's one of the old age. And I thought, how does he feel? He hung on the cross and his disciples were denying him. They were in the periphery. They were staying away. Even his close ally, Peter, cursed and said, I don't know him. And so I, then I realized that even grandma's thought about uh, that he never had to suffer old age, I realized all the ingredients and the hurts and the pains and, and the discomforts of old age, he's been there. He's done that. And he's suffered that. And he's been tempted. Sometimes you think, well, nobody's tempted like I am. I have... I have this is my weakness or that is my weakness. And, and whether it's uh, alcohol or drugs or immorality or the list goes on and on, whatever it is that you're facing, when you stop and think about, uh, it just now come into mind, they offered Jesus a vinegar when he was on the, a sponge soaked with vinegar. And you know what that was for? It was a painkiller. And he refused to accept the painkiller that they offered him on the cross. So when we look at uh, him, he's been there, done that. He's been tempted. Uh, I, I thought of the various ways he was tempted. He was tempted to turn the stones into bread. He was tempted to have all the kingdoms of the world. When Satan tempted him, that they would bow down to him. What, everything in humanity wants people to love me and respect me and, and to honor me. He, he felt the same way, but yet he rejected that. He was tempted. He was tempted to use his God-given power in the flesh. It was God robed in flesh. He was tempted when he said, you're hungry? Well, turn these stones into bread. The lust of the flesh, uh, who knows? But you can let your own imagination uh, go wild when uh, the, the flesh and the temptations of, of a man and, and the temptations of the flesh that he was tempted, the Bible says, in every manner like as we are. And so back now to the scripture that says we have not a high priest. In other words, our high priest does not carry this. But in every manner he was tempted like as we are yet without sin. And that we now, because... Uh, let, let me go back and get back to the old story of the old school under the priesthood of going and having access to God only through the priest. But then without going into the minute details of it, I think most of us are aware that there was a point in time where the Bible says the veil in the temple, the veil in the tabernacle was rent, the Bible says, from top to bottom. The veil is what secluded the holiest of holies or the presence of God. It was a veil that uh, I read today that someone said that it was up to four inches thick and that if you had oxen, they didn't have four-wheel drive Jeeps in that day, so they had oxen. But you could have oxen pulling in opposite directions. They could not have torn that curtain. It was so thick. It buried 
the holies of holies. And the priest was only allowed to go in once a year and he had a rope tied on his leg and bells on his garment. And if the bell stopped ringing, you knew that he had died. Because if he went into the holies of holies unworthy, he would instantly be killed. And then they couldn't go in to get him, so the rope was tied on him so they could drag him out of there. And if you'll remember, Hophni and Phinehas, Aaron, uh, Eli's sons, they offered strange fire on the altar and they died instantly. Understanding today, if we understand the scripture, that uh, the only access they had. But then what hap happened was the veil was rent, the Bible says, from top to the bottom. Why is that important? Because if man had done it, we would have done it from the bottom to the top. But as an act of God, it was rent. It was exposed. Now everybody could see into the holies of holies. That was brought about by the death of Jesus Christ, by His blood that was shed. And one of the things that the priest had to do before he went into the holies of holies, there had to be a blood sacrifice. There had to be the altar of, of uh, the brazen labor where he washed. There had to be incense offered to God uh, to prepare the way before he could finally enter into the presence of God. And any deviation from that plan would bring death. But now Jesus Christ dies on the cross. And when he died on the cross, and the Bible says, he, he, using the terms, when he gave up the ghost, or when he drew his last breath, the Bible says the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. Because now I don't have to go to the high priest. I don't have to go once a year. But now I have access, and the scripture says that we can boldly enter in to the throne of grace. The 16th verse, Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may what? Obtain mercy. And find grace in the time of need. Who needs grace? Who needs mercy? Somebody answer me. I know we all do, but I mean, why do we need grace and mercy? Who needs it? People that have sinned, thank you. People that have failed. People that have come up short. People that haven't fulfilled all of their responsibilities or obligations. People that have either blatantly disobeyed and failed or that have purpose, purposefully disobeyed and failed. What do we need? We need grace. And we need mercy. I remember one of my childhood struggles uh, through my teen years is that I always felt like uh, it's me again, Lord. And I used to sing a song that when I was a teenager, troubles come and I can't find an answer. Troubles come and I can't find an answer. Lonely nights I've spent in agony. But I have no other friend that I can turn to. Here I am, Lord, begging on my knees. It's me again, Lord. 
I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem that I can't solve. Now, I don't mean to worry you, but here I am facing something new, and I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. And that was kind of the, my teenage prayer was it's me again, Lord. Because it just seemed like that, you know, I struggle with various things in life and I, I would fail or I, I would not be what I should be or I would do something that I shouldn't do and then I, then I felt like I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed. I, I, I don't want to, but, but I learned and I, I'm thankful that I learned it. And I don't remember exactly who helped me, but somewhere an evangelist or a pastor or somebody helped me to understand that if I was quick to repent, God was quick to forgive. And that if I stumble and if I fail or if I made a mistake, that if I came back into the presence of God and I said, it's me again, Lord. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. What for the same old, same old too many times. But I learned that if I would come and repent, he was ready and willing to let me come into the throne of grace to find mercy, to find help. I'm here to tell somebody today that you can boldly come into the presence of God. You say, but pastor, I, I, don't, I don't really know, uh, or you really don't know what I've done. Or you don't know what I've been. Or you don't know how I failed. I'm telling you today, I'm here to tell you today that you can go, come not broken, not and I understand we need to repent. I understand that we need to not come with an arrogant attitude. That's not what we're talking about. But I, I want you to know that you can come boldly. You can come without fear of shame, of rejection, of, of being put down. You can come boldly into the throne of grace to find mercy. And to find forgiveness. And when we come into his presence and we ask for forgiveness... He is ready and willing. How often, after failing and falling into sin, can we come boldly into the throne of grace? It seems hard to fathom that God would encourage such an attitude after the committal of such egregious acts. People sacrifice Perhaps sacrifice would seem more in order. Maybe severe punishment to the offender. Maybe, as some religions would have you come and need to do penance. And I'm not being, I'm not being ugly because all, all churches and religious people have various things, but, but uh, to come and count beads or, or you got to do a, a hundred Hail Marys or you got to do penance or you got to be shamed or in some cultures they cut themselves and shed their own blood because they they're not worthy to come into the presence of God and I'm telling you today that his blood has already been shed for your sins and you can come boldly it don't mean you come with arrogance it means that you come can come into the presence of God 
And though you, you may be ashamed, you may have failed, or you may have stumbled, you may not have been all that you should be, but you can come right into the presence of God and say, God, I still love you. Do you still love me? And you can feel his arms of forgiveness and love and character wrapping around you and accepting you. You find acceptance in the presence of God. And thank you, Jesus. He's exactly the attitude that we have. That the Bible says that we may obtain mercy. Again, I say, who needs mercy? We all now or sometime in our lives need the mercies of God. And daily we need His mercy, His forgiveness. How do we find it? We come boldly into the presence of God. How is it that we can approach boldly? You know, when you've done someone wrong and you, and you need to repent and you go to ask for forgiveness, you come, uh, we, we, don't, we wouldn't describe, well, come boldly up to somebody and says, I've been saying ugly things about you. We become humbly if you really wanted to ask for forgiveness. You've done someone wrong or you failed someone. You would come feeling down and and like the, the Bible talks about the man that came in the presence of God and, and one came arrogantly, but the other one came, smote upon his chest, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's our natural response when we failed and we need forgiveness. But he tells us we can come boldly into the throne of grace and find mercy. What happened? The blood of Jesus Christ was better than the blood of sheep or a lamb, or pigeon, or turtle dove, or an oxen. It, it was better because it came from the sinless life of Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world. And provisions have been made, but if we don't take advantage of those provisions, we'll never know the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. If you allow the enemy which might be your own mind or your own way of thinking to think, well, I'm not worthy to come into the presence of God. And so I'm just going to fold my arms and I'm embarrassed and I'm just going to leave and walk out of the church. You'll never know the mercy and the grace of God until you come into His presence. I use the very simplistic analogy at times that I've said I've got $2,000 bills in my pocket. I don't, but I wish I did. But uh, for the sake of the story, I got $2,000 bills, and the first 20 people that come up here, I'm going to give you a $100 bill. And some of you, on the front row, he'd be the first one up here, uh, would come running and grab your $100 bill. But some of you would probably think, I'm not going to make a fool out of myself and crawl over the bench and over the pew and run up there to get that. And you would sit there and you would not be a part. And some of you wouldn't believe it's true. And some of you would think, well, I'm not going to make a fool out of myself. And you'd find an excuse not to respond. But the 20 people that came would walk away with a $100 bill. And those that just were too reluctant or too hesitant or, or too embarrassed would leave with nothing. Jesus Christ shed his blood for the sins of the whole world, but the whole world is not saved and not going to be saved. 
You have to come and accept his gift. You have to make yourself available. You have to, he that asks receiveth. So if you don't ask, you're not getting it. I've often thought of blind Bartimaeus by the roadside. And I don't know, I've, I've had this picture in my own mind and allow me to kind of fill in some of the blanks. Uh, he was off the beaten path. And Jesus was coming down the road. And blind Bartimaeus was, was off the beaten path and there was a throngs of people around Jesus and everybody had their own needs. And being blind, other senses become much more keen. In my own mind, I'm thinking that his hearing, he listened. And he thought, I hear a crowd of people. It don't sound like, you know, a circus is coming to town or it don't sound like, you know, modern day picketing against the politics of the day. It don't sound like a bunch of teenagers playing. It sounds different. And I, I'm not recognizing what that sound. And, and in my own mind, I've thought, well, you maybe stop somebody. He said, can you tell me what is the, the, the turmoil, the, the sound that I hear? And somebody would respond and say, oh, Jesus is coming into town. And he's coming down the road. And there's uh, multitudes of people thronged around him. And again, allow me the liberty to write from first Ronald Abbott. The man would say to them, well, is that the same Jesus that they say can open blinded eyes? And perhaps somebody responded back and said, well, I'm not sure, but I saw a man that was crippled and, and he spoke to him and instantly he became whole. I saw somebody else that, that couldn't hear and, and he, he touched them and instantly their ears were open and they began to hear. And as the crowd got closer and closer, what did blind Bartimaeus do? What did blind Bartimaeus do? Speak up a little louder. I can't hear you. He cried out. Thank you. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There were people that said, shh, be quiet. The master is busy. But the Bible says that didn't discourage him even when someone tried to discourage him. But the Bible says he cried even the louder. Jesus! And Jesus stopped what he was doing. Crowds all around him. He parted away through the crowd and went to that man and said, Sir, what would you have me do? That I might receive my sight. Jesus spoke words of faith and healing to him and his eyes were opened. But now let me go back to the point that I said all that to say this. If blind Bartimaeus would have sat there wondering, well, I wonder if Jesus could heal my eyes, but never cried out. I wonder if he had sat there and waited thinking, well, Jesus knows I'm blind and if he wants to heal me, he'll come to me. Jesus would have ministered to the throngs around him and went on his way. And Bartimaeus would have died a blind man. But he cried out. He reached out. He took advantage of the fact that Jesus Christ was coming down the road near him. And because he cried out, he lifted up his voice. He went home that day healed. He went home that day seeing. 
because he cried out unto the Lord. Understanding today that we can do what? To the throne of grace? We can come boldly. But what if we don't want to come? Then the throne of grace passes us by and we never receive the benefits that we could have from the throne of grace, from his mercy, his goodness. He died for the sins of the world, but yet the world is not going to be saved. Only those who come, only those who call, only those who ask are going to receive. Those that seek are going to find. And the door is only going to be open to those that knock. But he said, if you'll knock, seek, cry out, I'll open the door. I'll answer your prayer. I'll, I'll respond to you. But you first got to come. So we understand today that uh, it doesn't really matter. The blood of Jesus atones not only for sins committed in ignorance, but it also committed also for sins that were committed deliberately. Some things we could say, well, I stumbled and I made a mistake. Sometimes in our moment of arrogance or whatever, we just blatantly do something that we know conflicts with the principles of God and the principles that are around us. And we come then... We are ashamed and we realize, I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his grace. But what are we supposed to do? We can come boldly into the throne of grace, into his presence. Uh, the high priest could only go once a year to ask for sins to be rolled ahead for a year. But now we have access on a regular, daily basis to come into the throne of grace and receive the blessings of God. Back to the scenario of a few moments ago when I said that I had some $100 bills that I was passing out. Well, if I didn't have them going, here they are, Someone will say, oh, this is probably a joke. This is probably, I'm not going to respond too quickly to that. Uh, and why would he do that anyway? And we start analyzing all of that. There, you know, there ain't no free lunch. Something's not, something's awry with all this thought. And we sit there and we analyze and fold our arms and sit back. And someone else receives the blessings. The, the point I make there is, First of all, you've got to believe. If you believe, then you're going to respond. I've also often used the analogy that if, if I came to your house in the middle of the night, banged on your door and said, get out, get out, your house is on fire, your house is on fire. Who is that? It's Pastor Abbott. Get out, your house is on fire. Well, now, if you just said, okay, thanks for letting me know, and pull the covers and turn over to your other side and back to ZZ land. You know why you would do that? Because you didn't believe.
And some, somebody said, well, the only, the only way, the way to be saved, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thine house. And that is a quote from uh, Philip talking to the, to the jailer. And some people say, oh, all you have to do is believe on the Lord and shake the preacher's hand and, and you've joined the church and now you're saved. Well, that part of the word of God just as true as any other part of the word of God. But that's like saying, okay, pastor, I know my house is on fire. I believe you. And then go back to sleep. What would we say about that? You said I believe, but you really didn't believe. Y'all are kind of sleepy today. Some of y'all catch up with me. Again, I'll say, if, if, if I said your house is on fire, you need to get out right now, and you said, okay, I believe you, Pastor Abbott, and go back to bed, what would you say about that? They really didn't believe. They really didn't believe. And so... But if they believe, what are they going to do? Believing causes action. If you really believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you really believe that you have access to the throne of grace, and you really believe that you can find forgiveness, you really believe that he, is, he wants to save you, then what are you going to do? You don't just say, I believe, but you follow his words. The Bible says, if you'll keep my commandments... Follow the precepts of the Word of God. If you'll come unto me, I will give you rest. If you'll ask, you'll receive. If you'll seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, the door is going to be open. But what do you have to do? You have to ask. You have to seek. You have to knock. Everything about our relationship with God requires action on our parts. It's not saying I believe, it's actually believing. And when I actually believe, then I respond accordingly to what is needed. The Bible says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You're sick. And you need healing. The Bible says that if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. We have a, a part of this service where usually people are invited. If you have a need, come forward. You'll be anointed and prayed over. For your need, for your healing. But if you think that's just a mere ritual that we're going through, and you know, I, I really don't feel well, but I don't feel like going up there. I really got this really personal problem that's really weighing me down, but you know, I'm embarrassed. I'm not going to go up there. Well, then take your problem home with you. Someone says, well, I'm not going to call the pastor when I'm sick. I don't want to bother him. Well, let me clue you in. You're not bothering a man of God. If you have a need, that you really need something from God, and you want the assistance of a man of God to pray with you and pray over you,
you shouldn't be embarrassed to come forward and whether it's a personal need or physical need or financial need or marital need or whatever, to come forward. Your act of faith, what I say the first thing we have to do is believe. And if you really believe, then you come in obedience to the word of God. You say, why, why do we have to go boo-hoo and cry and blow our nose and repent of our sins? I don't think that's necessary. You may not, but that's part of the plan of God. Well, I don't believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. You know what the problem is? What was the first part of what I just said you said? I don't believe. And if you don't believe, the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. You know why we, you know why we obey and put somebody in the water and baptize them in the beautiful name of Jesus? You know why we do that? Because we believe the word of God. And that's what God, it don't make sense to me. It don't to me either. To my intellect to tell somebody we're going to put them in some water. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes pastor recently thought he had the heater going all day long and obviously he didn't. And people were getting in the water. Why would we go through that? And you take somebody and you put their hand on their nose, their wrist, and you put them under the water and bring them up. And we say in Jesus' name, and then we say your sins are washed away. And up here, it's like, yeah, right. But when you believe, why? Because his word said, if you'll, do, if you'll be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And when you believe that, that's faith is what activates the blood of Jesus Christ in your life because you believed. You came as a sinner. I, I, I mentioned it every once in a while. And I, I was, it was right that spot right over there. I remember the spot where someone, I don't remember who they were before, then, or after. But there was a gentleman came to church here and, and uh, uh, he ended up, someone talked to him about baptism and he went up and was baptized and, and he met me right over there. His hair is still wet and, and he's smiling and he said, that was some nasty water up there. And I was kind of embarrassed. I think, well, I, I, I had this vision of bugs floating on top and a little film of nastiness and slime on top and he said that's some nasty water up there and then as he continued to say he said because the word of God tells me that all of my sins are buried and left there he said that's some nasty water up there you know why he said that because he believed because he believed that if I will obey the word of God and go bear, get buried in the name of Jesus, all them things that embarrassments, embarrassments and sins and ugliness and things in my past are now gone and I buried them in the blood of Jesus Christ and I left them up there. And it wasn't bugs, it wasn't slime that was making that water putrid. It was the fact that his sins were buried up there and washed away up there, and he left them to come away no matter where, when, or how, or how horrific his past might have been. He could come boldly into the throne of grace 
and find mercy and find love and find forgiveness. We all have had the thoughts of, well, they don't face the same temptation that I face. They, they don't have the same problems that I face. Or they haven't had the same health issues that I've had to deal with. And the list goes on and on and on with uh, the things that we think, well, I'm unique in myself. But the Bible says he was tempted in every manner. Just like my grandmother thought that, you know, well, Jesus didn't have to suffer old age. Yet when you stop and think about what old age brings, he felt the pain, the aches in the body, and the torturous things that he went through. He felt the loneliness of being forsaken by family and friends. The list goes on and on. All those characteristics, he found those. Thank God that he understands the feelings of our infirmities. Yes, your, your infirmities are unique to yourself. But on the other hand, your infirmities, the things that you face, many, many, many have faced them on one level or another in the past, and they found grace in the eyes of God. And I don't care what the sin or the transgression or the failure was, when you come boldly into the presence of God, He can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities, your inadequacies, your failures. He understands and he takes them. Thank God that we don't live under the law where only once a year can we go through the priest into the holy place, the holies of holies, the presence of God, and have our sins just rolled ahead for a little time. But we can come boldly into the throne of grace. The veil was torn from the bottom. It wasn't done by human effort, but it was done by his presence. The law was given by Moses. The law, the thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, was given by Moses. But grace and truth and mercy came by Jesus Christ. Moses gave us the law. Jesus gave us mercy. Moses gave the law that in our human efforts, we're never going to be perfect. But Jesus gave us mercy that helps us to obey the law and find grace and mercy whenever. Jesus stands ever ready at any time to give us grace and mercy. Many people, and I'm closing, many people struggle with the feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, and guilt. But should this be? Does not the lesson text today give us the reason to reject self-rejection? Jesus Christ, the great high priest, sympathizes with our weaknesses and knows what it means to be tempted. Mercy and grace are given readily to any in time of need. To truly honor Him, we must act on His invitation and go before His throne and receive His mercy and His grace. God bless you. Let's stand. Go ahead, let's stand.
Lord. They want me to sing. <laughs> Trouble, troubles, 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 come. That's the wrong key. Troubles come and I can't find an answer. Lonely nights I've spent in agony, but I have no other friend that I can turn to. So here I am, Lord, begging on my knees, me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem that I can't solve. Now I don't mean to worry you, but here I am facing something new. And I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. Need to be I know you're mighty busy up in heaven. Forming worlds and hanging stars to shine. But if you ask, Lord, I'd receive it. Mm -hmm. But you promised. Let me go again. But you promised if I would ask that I'd receive it. So here I am, Lord, begging on my knees. It's me again, Lord. I think we need to practice a little bit. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. I've got a problem that I can't solve. Now I don't mean to worry you. But here I am facing something new, and I need help that only comes from you. It's me again. Let me sing that one more time. Mm -hmm. I know you're mighty busy up in heaven. Forming worlds and hanging stars to shine. But if you promised, if I would ask that I'd receive it. So here I am, Lord, asking one more time. Everybody sing it with us this time. It's me again, Lord. I've got a prayer that needs an answer. It's me again, Lord. 
I've got a problem that I can't solve. Now I don't mean to worry you, but here I am facing something new, and I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. Now I don't mean to worry you, but here I am facing something new, and I need help that only comes from you. It's me again, Lord. Let's just thank him for his mercy this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the throne room. We can come and find grace.